Lord, I now ask that you bless your word. God, you have all the power to be our shield and defend us, Lord. God, you have all the mercy and grace to forgive us, God. Lord, we thank you that you have all wisdom, and we find it in your word, and I ask, God, that you bless your word now. Lord, as we continue to worship you, hold Jesus, there's nothing like you. God, may we hear from you, and I ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Aloha, everybody. Welcome our Church Ohana online. Hey, just a a quick reminder, next Sunday, we are uh, going to be partaking in communion together, and we'll have the elements for you, but uh, those of you who are connected online, if you can't have them ready, too, for that. Well, if you can grab your Bibles, open them up to Revelation, Revelation chapter 10, and we'll continue our study through this book, Revelation chapter 10. I already prayed, so we're going to get right into our, our study here this morning. And um, in Revelation 10, we are going to see the bittersweet reality. That's the title of our message this morning, the bittersweet reality. Now, this morning we're going to cover the whole chapter from verse 1 through 11. And so we're going to just take that whole thing this morning. I know we've been kind of going slow and taking parts, but today we're going to take this whole chapter, which isn't too bad. It's 11 verses, so not too bad. But anyway, um, the title again is The Bittersweet Reality. You know, I was thinking about this. Isn't this awesome that the Olympics have started? How many of you have watched the Olympics Yeah, or the opening ceremonies, yeah. I I love the Olympics. I'm excited for it to be here finally. And first time they're having surfing. And we know that a couple of Hawaii guys, John John Florence and Chris Moore, are in competition. So we're going to be rooting for them. I think they made it past the first heat in the qualifying. Now, the Summer Olympics have become, but the Tokyo Olympics is like never before, right? I was reading how the Olympics have persevered over its 125-year modern history through wars, boycotts, protests, controversies, and now add to that the world pandemic. Because of the coronavirus, the Tokyo Olympics broke new ground because for the first time ever, the Olympics has been delayed 12 months, one year, right? And for the first time, the delay pushed it into odd-numbered years. I didn't know that. It was always even-numbered. As a matter of fact, I'm watching the Olympics, and still the banners, everything still say 2020. I'm thinking, what? Oh, okay, maybe they're trying to keep their tradition, or they don't have enough money to change the banners. No, anyway. On top of that, these, this 2020 Summer Olympics are like no other in that the games, as you know, will be conducted without any fans, foreign or local, because of the resurgence of the coronavirus there in Tokyo. No spectators are allowed, no crowd, no cheering, only the sound of the athletes competing in their events. And what's good is, is at least their other teammates, I think, were there were watching some of the gymnastics gymnastics, the men's gymnastics, and some of the girls in our USA team were rooting them on. So at least there's something there, but how sad is that? How exciting it must be for those going back to the Olympics, but at the same time, how sad that their friends and family aren't there. Matter of fact, Olympic gymnast Simone Biles 
posted on social media when she was on the plane going to Japan that she was crying because she's going to miss her family and friends. The article says, I guess she has a new boyfriend too, going to really miss him. And she said that it, this year's Summer Olympics is a bitter sweet thing. Sally, that's what it is. That's the bittersweet reality of this Summer Olympics. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Revelation, we come to pause now before we come to a pause before the seventh trumpet sounds. We've been through all the six trumpets, and now before the seventh trumpet sounds here in Revelation 10, God here points to this bittersweet reality that evil will finally come to the end. That's a sweet part. But many will fall under the judgment because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. So that's why our title this morning, The Bittersweet Reality. And again, we're going to be covering Revelation chapter 10. Now, our outline for this morning is this. We have three headings. Number one, the mighty angel. Number two, the major announcement. And number three, the moving analogy. So those are the points, those are the things we will be seeing in this chapter of Revelation chapter 10. Well, let's begin with number one in our outline, the mighty angel, the mighty angel. Now, for those of you taking notes, we're going to be covering verse 1 through 4 in this section under this heading. But first of all, take a look with me, with me here, verse 1, verse 1. Revelation chapter 10, and it reads here, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. And we'll stop right here. Now, here as we begin in chapter 10, verse 1, John the Apostle, he writes, Then... So we're continuing on here. This is after, as I mentioned, this, the, the six trumpet judgments that we saw in the last chapters. If you missed it, you can catch it on our podcast. You can catch the MP3s on our website or even go to our YouTube channel. And you'll see the videos and, of the last few chapters. So here we come then into this chapter. And as I mentioned, before the seven trumpet sounds, there's a break. There's an intermission here. There's going to be some things that we're, God is going to be covering here before we get to the seventh trumpet as we've been going along one by one here in the last few chapters. And in this break, let me just, let me just put this out to you so it's in your mind. This break, this pause, this intermission is to mark this moment that's about to happen. It's to mark what is coming, to warn really the people of the world. And once again, I see God's grace and mercy here. So here in this pause, John sees now in verse 1, I saw another mighty angel descending down from heaven, coming down to the earth. And we're going to see he actually plants his feet on the planet. Now, who is this angel? We first got to look at this for a moment. There's two views of this. Now, uh, it's pretty much divided with common taters and pastors and who they think this angel is and the first view is this number one they feel that this angel coming down that this is the lord jesus christ and we understand that i mean we we know that many times in the old testament jesus is described as what the angel of the lord right as that appearance of the pre-incarnate uh, christ 
the theophany, we call it in our Old Testament studies, or Christophany, appearance of God there, Jesus there, before he came to the earth in the flesh. So many times, Jesus is described as the angel, the angel of the Lord. So some feel that too. They feel like now this description of him in verse 1, it describes Christ. Like you see in verse 1, he's wrapped in a cloud speaking about his Shekinah glory. Or his face was like the sun. We saw that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Or his legs here described as the, like a pillar of fire. And it goes with the, the feet that we saw in Revelation chapter 115 and in what John saw, that his feet was shiny bronze, if you remember, we, we went over that. So this could be Jesus Christ here coming that John has seen. That's the first view, that this angel is Jesus Christ. The second view is this, that this is what John is saying, another mighty angel, that this is an angel. This is a mighty angel coming down here onto the earth. And I have to tell you, that's what I lean toward. I'm leaning toward that this is the mighty angel. Let me tell you why. First of all, John writes, then I saw what? Another. Yeah. The Greek word is there, alos, and it means another of the same kind. Heteros is another of a different kind. So Jesus being God, he's not an angel, as some of the cults say. He is God. John, I don't think, would write alos here. He would write heteros. So that's why I feel like, well, this is, this is actually an angel. And think about this. In our studies so far and in our studies as we go through the book of Revelation, whenever John describes uh, Jesus, he makes it very clear by using words like, He's the first and the last. He's the son of God, or we've seen the lamb, right? The lamb described. Or he's the faithful and true. He's the king of kings we're going to see in Revelation chapter 19. And so I, I, I really feel like, no, this is what it says, another mighty angel. Notice something else, too. Here in verse 1, it says that this angel, this mighty angel coming down from heaven and as i mentioned we're going to see him plant his feet on the on the earth so if it's jesus is this some pre-second coming of christ you know or is there two second comings not for me i i believe there's one second coming and we're going to see that in revelation 19 and so that's why to me it doesn't fit right so for me i really lean toward that this is a mighty angel and it makes more sense to me and as i always say be a good brian Right? Acts 17, 11, the Brians made sure they went back to Scripture to see if what Paul was saying was true. Be a good Brian. Study the Scripture. Study this on your own and, and, you, and come to your own conclusion. But, but we're going to take this this morning as this being a mighty angel. So this mighty angel, mighty really to me speaks of one high-ranking, powerful angel of God. Remember we were talking about how angels and even demons are ranked. Yeah, they're, in God's army, they have different ranks, and I believe this is one of the, the, the higher-ups, if one of the top leaders of the angels. And so we see this mighty angel now in verse 1, wrapped in a cloud. I believe that just speaks of how he's coming in the glory of heaven. He's coming from heaven, and there's a rainbow over his head, and I believe he's coming directly from the throne of God, because if you remember Revelation 4.3, the, the throne of God had a rainbow 
around it. So it's just showing he's, he's coming from God. He's being sent from the Lord. He's coming with the glory of heaven. He's sent directly from God. And his face was like the sun. And many times that speaks about the holiness of God. And so I would think this is the holiness of this angel. This is a holy angel. It's not one of those demonic ones we've been seeing in the last two messages. And his legs like pillars of fire. Now, fire in the Bible usually it represents judgment. So he's coming with this, 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 this message of fire that judgment is about to come upon the world. So to me, and I hope you can follow me with this, and again, you can study this on your own, but to me, this is one of the mighty angels of God. I like something J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, if you go with either crowd, you will be in good company. Like if you think it's Jesus or you think it's an angel. But then he said, but if you want to be right, you want to come along with me on this. <laughs> I like that. I think he had a smile on his face when he said that. All right. So this mighty angel comes down and John describes his appearance. Now look at verse 2, but just, just the first part. In verse 2 it says, He had a little scroll open in his hand. Now stop there. Now this mighty angel, John describes him, and then John notices in his hand there, there's this little scroll that's open. Now in the Greek word, in the, the Greek word um, for those two words, little scroll, is actually biblion. And it means small scroll. And you remember back then that was, that scrolls are like the books. That's how they wrote things and, and all. So this was like a, you could say, an ancient booklet. Maybe think about it that way. Now, I believe this scroll is different from chapter 5. Remember when Jesus took the scroll? And as we studied it, it was the title, Deed to the Earth. Well, back then, in chapter 5, the word for scroll is biblion, different from bibliardion. It's a regular-sized scroll in chapter 5. But here, this angel has this little scroll. By the way, angel, the word actually means messenger. It literally means that. It's, that's part of the meaning of this word. So, I believe God sent this angel with this little scroll because it holds a message. And I think the message is the scroll tells of what's coming next. It's like um, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. And let me read to you. This is the NLT version. It says, Then I looked, and I saw a hand reaching out to me. This is the prophet Ezekiel talking. It held the scroll, which he unrolled. And I saw that both sides were covered with, and look, funeral songs, words of sorrow, and pronouncements of doom. When that happened, right, God was speaking to Ezekiel about the judgment that was going to fall upon Israel because they had abandoned God and gone after idols. So I think that's the same idea. Many things that we're going to see in Revelation tie to things that happened in the Old Testament. So this little scroll is the official notice, you know what? that the beginning of the end to evil is finally here. That's what's unfolding in our chapter here. That's what we're going to see. And I will clarify that as we go on in this chapter. This little scroll is the official notice that the beginning of the end to evil is finally here. Now you remember 
uh, back in chapter 6, seven seals were broken open, right? It brought upon the world cataclysmic events upon the earth. And remember, out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets. And we've seen six of them, right? The natural calamity, the demonic calamity, and the last two trumpet sounds. Well, out of the seventh trumpet that we will be seeing uh, will come out seven bowl judgments. And after the seven bowl judgments, you know what happens? Jesus Christ returns. So you see, we're rolling into the end of the end here, the beginning of the end of evil. This is a huge moment in the history of the world. And I believe that's why there's this pause. There's a pause here before the seven trumpets sounded. It's marking this moment. It's showing, hey, we're, we're, we're right here. We're coming to the end here. Now, let's go on and take a look at verse 2. The rest of verse 2 says, well, verse 2 says, He had a little scroll open his hand, and he set his foot, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring when he called out the seven thunders sounded. Verse 4, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. All right, so the mighty angel comes down. And he puts his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land. Now, this is a huge angel. I was trying to picture it on the world. I don't know if it's like a certain location. I don't know if, it, if, if it, he's, he's there. But either way, can you imagine this angel being that big? I mean, e- e- even if it was just our islands, yeah, he came. It'll probably be some continent somewhere. But just think about an angel putting one foot on the ocean and one foot on the sea. This is huge. So this is literally, uh, this message from God, a huge statement. Can you imagine this giant angel straddling the ocean and the land there with this notice now in his hand? Now, here's a thought. It could be that this message carried by this giant holy angel, right, is really showing the world how mighty God is, how mighty his angels are, because what had just happened? The last two trumpets came, the locusts, demons, and those 200 million other evil creatures came out upon the world, right? These spiritual beings. But now here comes this huge angel, bigger than anything, any of those demons there. And he's standing there and, and with Heaven, the glory of heaven and the holiness, right, of shining out of his face. Well, this angel then cries out with a loud voice, like the roar of a lion. I never really heard a roar of a lion, but someone said if you hear it, you're like, whoa. It's, it, you know, how deep the voice is, how, oh, it's, it's scary to hear that. Well, think about this, this. I don't know what the angel did. Maybe he did roar. But he cried out loud, and it, even his presence and now hearing his voice, yeah, what comes out is grabbing the attention of everybody. And then after that, verse 3 says, when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. Well, what is that? John, tell us what that is. What well, says in verse 7, when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. John was going to let us know what that was. I wish he did, 
But he didn't because he had to obey a voice from heaven. Who do you think that is? I believe it's God. Could be a, a, maybe another commanding angel, but I really feel like this is God telling John, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Do not write it down. So don't, don't, don't record it. Don't put it in the book right here. Don't, don't uh, write down what was said. Leave it and leave it as unknown. What was said? What do you think? What was there? I, I don't know. Some say maybe it's seven judgments, the seven thunders or seven judgments, perhaps in God's words that he's saying and he's warning the earth. But no, no one really knows. Maybe uh, it's this message for the people of the world at that time that they need to hear along with what they see. I don't know. We don't know. And to try and even, even speculate, to try and even say, well, this is what it is. We can't, because God said, don't write it down, keep it unknown. So we just accept the fact that these are the only words in Revelation that are not supposed to be known to us. So we'll just leave it at that, whatever it is. But what we do know is this. This huge and mighty angel makes his power and presence known. That's what I see here. This huge and mighty angel makes his power and presence known. He comes from God. He's showing himself that I'm not one of these peon little demons. Yeah? No, I'm from the Lord. I'm mightier. God is mightier than anything you've seen. So you better heed the warning. One terror, terror filled night in the late 1800s. John G. Patton and his wife were praying hard because their mission station on Vanuatu was surrounded by hungry cannibals. They were about to be attacked. They were about to be grabbed. They were about to be killed and eaten, basically. These cannibals, this tribe, was ready to burn down the mission mission station, kill the family and all. But when daylight came, Patton was surprised and amazed to see that their attackers, they were all gone. One year later, the tribe's chief had come to be saved. He received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And the missionary, like, they were talking story. And so Patton wondered, hey, remember that night? About a year ago, when you guys were surrounding us, and you're about to, you know, kill us and eat us. And, 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 and he was asking, you, know, you remember that night? Well, the chief said this. He's, he asked Patton a question. Who were all those men with you there? Patton was thinking, well, I, I, I don't know anyone else, but it was just our family that was there. And then the chief said, we were afraid to attack you guys because there were hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords circling your place. I believe that's angels, right? I believe God sent angels to protect the missionary and their family. Aren't you glad God's holy angels are on our side as believers? Aren't you glad? They're powerful. We know one angel killed 186,000 Assyrians, right? And uh, I think it was First Kings in the Old Testament. They are powerful beings. They're, they're, uh, there's a battle with demons, but with God, they're, they're powerful. They're more powerful, I would say. So no worries. No worries with these guys around. So I think this huge and mighty angel makes his power and presence known to the world. How powerful 
God is and how more powerful with God these angels are. So we see number one, the mighty angel. Let's go to number two now, the major announcement. The major announcement. Now here, we're going to cover verse five through seven, but let's read all of this right now. Verse 5 says, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets and we'll stop there now this mighty angel raised his right hand to make an oath to god that's what he's doing he's making an oath he's 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 really really declaring what he's saying is true and it's real that this is the reality so as he raises his right hand he, he makes this oath to God. And, and God who is what? The one who lives forever and ever that's describing our eternal God, right? The one who created heaven and everything in it. The one who created the earth and everything in it. The one who created the sea and everything in it. God is Elohim. You remember? Jehovah, Elohim. Uh, in the beginning, right, was, was Elohim, God who created the heavens and the earth. He's our creator God And so here's the angel declaring before the Lord that what he's about to say, what, 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 what he, he, the message he has in his hand is true from God, and it's the reality. So with this oath, the angel testifies, there will be no more delay, the end of verse 6, right? There's not going to be any delay. There's no more delay. In other words, God is saying, I'm not going to wait any longer. For all will see when the days of the trumpet call from the seventh angel. This is the seventh trumpet. And you remember the seventh trumpet is going to bring the bowls. And after the bowl judgment, the seventh bowl judgment will be the return of Christ. So he's saying, look, these are the days. This is the days of the trumpet call, the seventh angel, that everyone will see. The mystery of God would be fulfilled. The mystery that he announced, or the word announced there means like he proclaimed to his servants, the prophets. He's talking about the prophets of old. The Old Testament prophets, the prophecies of the apostles that were said. Now, the word mystery in the Bible does not mean some mystery that we we cannot figure out. A lot of times we use that in our language. Oh, that's a mystery. Who knows about that? It's a mystery how, you know, how do whales travel from Alaska all the way to Hawaii, to Maui, when they've never been there before? Or birds, you know, travel. That, that's a mystery. That's something. I think God just leads them, you know, in that way. But that's a mystery. Things that, well, we'll never find out. But in the Bible, mystery in the Bible means something that was once not known is made known. So understand that when you read the word mystery in the Bible, it's something that is revealed. It's something that, like like what we're this whole book, Revelation, is a, is it God's mystery being revealed, being made known to us. Something that was once not known is now made known. Now let me read to you something 
that the Apostle Paul wrote. And this is Ephesians chapter 1, and it's verses 9 through 10. And again, I want to read it to you in the NLT version so you can just grasp the meaning of it quicker. Verse 9, Ephesians chapter 1 says, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will, or the mystery, regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And then verse 10 says, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth earth. You see, Paul is talking about the day when Christ, our Lord, will come back and rule and reign on the earth. When everything, heaven and earth, will be submitted to him. When evil will be gone. This is the plan of God. So I believe what is being written here in verse 7, the mystery of God to be fulfilled, is talking about what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. That God promised, God prophesied, God told the prophets in the Old Testament that one day He would bring an end to evil and He would judge the world. And all of history is heading that way. And that one day Christ would return. So this is the moment before the all. The, the end, the beginning of the end, when the end of evil comes, the, the world is judged, and all of history has been heading toward that way. And this is the moment we see in chapter 10, when it's all about to ha- happen. So you see, by the raising of his hand, the angel declares yeah, the final judgment in Christ's return in end-time prophecy are about to come to pass. This is it, guys, he's saying. We're at this moment. Everything that the prophets have said in our Bibles, what the apostles were talking about, what, what Paul wrote about, the, this mystery, the prophecy, it's all about to happen. By raising his hand, the angel declares, this is the truth. I say this before the Lord. The final judgment, Christ's return, all spoken about, end time prophecy is about to come to pass. So can you imagine, this is that moment here. The bowls, and right after that, Christ returns. Now, there's a lot of other stuff we're going to be seeing in uh, this book, in the rest of this book. But at this time, this is that, that, that moment. On our first trip, um, uh, or, or one of our trips, actually, I should say, to the Big Island, but I, I think it was our first trip as a family, with our whole family, I remember going, we went to Big Island, and the kids were pretty young. We were staying in some condos in Waikoloa. And, you know, driving to Kona wasn't too bad. But, uh, but you know, we were driving to the other side of the island, or Waimea in the middle, or going to the Hamakua Coast, or going to Hilo, or the Volcano National Park, and all that. I mean, the drive was long. Maybe you guys from Big Island, you're used to that. I mean, but I was like, wow. I, told my, I turned my, to my wife one time and said, no wonder they call this the Big Island, right? A lot of driving you do. A lot, lot, lot farther and longer than Maui here. Well, the kids were so young, and you know, they, they would travel sitting in the back of our rented van. And after a few trips, as soon as we got in the car and we started driving, I started to hear them ask those words, right? Are we there yet? 
are we there yet? Right? I mean, you just, you know, right? Those words, right? And I was thinking, yeah, are we there yet? Oh, this is far. Go from Waikolo all the way around to Volcano National Park and all. Yeah. Well, you know what? Throughout the ages, the Old Testament prophets, or the Old Testament saints, they cried that too. Lord, are we there yet? Are we there yet? The end of evil? The apostles looked to hope in what Jesus said, and they're like, Lord, are we, are we there yet? Is it, is it time for your coming? Well, not yet. Only the Father knows the time. But that's been the longing of the hearts, right, of believers even throughout the ages praying, Lord, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, guess what? Right here, Revelation chapter 10, the angel testifies to the fact, we're here. We're finally here, the beginning of the end, this last part, the end of Satan, the end of evil, the end of wickedness, the end of suffering and consequences of sin. It's coming. It's coming, you guys. Maybe right now there is sin. Maybe right now there's evil and wickedness in the world. Maybe you're suffering under that. Maybe you're suffering under the spiritual battle and Satan and his demons are doing much, right? To bring consequences upon the world, to bring, to bring down the world. But there will be an end to it. Amen? Amen. That's our hope. We, that's what we know. And right here the angel's declaring the same thing. We have hope, you guys, in Jesus. Are you tired of the consequences of sin, of the fall? Maybe, are you tired of your, your own personal failures and, and all, and, 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 and how the, the evil in the world is pressing down? Right? Are you frustrated, maybe, the way, in the way things are? Our world is heading toward our government, our society. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Because Satan is heading for his end. And know this. If you're a believer, right? You have victory already. You have victory right now. Jesus is one already when he died on a cross and he rose again from the grave. You have victory already. So put your hope in Jesus. There's victory for you today. No matter what you're going through, no, ma- no matter what you're struggling with, yeah? Jesus Christ is our Jehovah Nisi, our victory, our banner over us. He is our Jehovah Rapha, our healer, who can heal us and free us from our sin. And no matter what you're going through, He is our Jehovah Shalom. He is your peace. He's your hope today. And know that one day all this evil, all this craziness in this world, all this darkness will come to an end. And the angel makes an oath to God to declare and says, before God, as I stand before God, this is true. Let's go on to number three now, the moving analogy. So we've seen... The mighty angel, the major announcement, and now number three, the moving analogy. And this will cover the verses in the rest of this chapter. But first of all, look at verse 8 through 10. Verse 8 through 10 says, Then 
The voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel, who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So, after this, after he sees the angel declare to the world that these, the end is coming, this is the beginning of the end, a voice comes from heaven to John and says, Take the scroll. Now, I, I feel like this is God again. This is God telling John to, to take that scroll that's in his hand. And so, so he goes to the angel and he says, Hey, um, he comes to him, and I'm sure the angel heard this. The angel says, here, take take it. Take the scroll. But let me tell you something. It's going to make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey to your mouth. And so he ate it. Now, did John really eat this scroll? I don't know. I mean, is it symbolic? I tend to believe that he did because he describes what was in his mouth and what was in his stomach. So, so maybe this, this, this little scroll that was in the angel's giant hand maybe turned into a nice little sushi roll or something, a scroll roll, you know? Ooh, yummy, that sounds good right now, yeah? But a sushi roll, and he, and he gobbles that up. And I, I think he ate it for this analogy. And then John found, found exactly what the angel said in his mouth. Oh, it tasted sweet like honey. But when it hit his stomach, it became bitter. It gave him this sore stomach, yeah? So why did this little scroll do that? Why did God have John do that? Why, 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 did, why did this happen? Because this official notice, this little scroll, it contains sweet and sour news. It contains good news and bad news. It contains sweet and bitter news. And here's what it is. The sweet is Jesus coming to end all evil. That's the great thing, right? We can't wait for that. That's a, that's a sweet news. But the bitter is many will suffer and die in the judgment that is coming also. That's why there's a sweet and bitter. That's why there's a bitter and sweet to this. You know, it's interesting. The prophet Ezekiel experienced a similar thing when God had him eat a scroll in Ezekiel chapter 3. three. This was God's message to unfaithful Israel. This was God even reaching out to in mercy to Israel, but as a prophet, as a symbol, as an analogy in this way. And then later in Ezekiel 3.14, that sweetness turned sour in his soul. He said, I went in bitterness. Why? Because he was to prophesy to Israel that God would reject them and they would be under his judgment. You see, Ezekiel felt that bitterness of judgment. And that's what John is feeling right now. You know what? I, I, I think, and this is interesting to me, I think with Ezekiel, God was trying to show him something. God wanted Ezekiel to understand how God feels himself. So eat this. I want you to, you to experience what I'm going through. God said later in Ezekiel 18.23, said, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not 
rather that he should turn from his way and live? I think that's the sweet and sour of what God experiences. God is love, and he desires no one perish, but if people reject Jesus, then the judgment must fall, because God is holy also. So God is love, God is holy, and that, that, that's the sweetness and the, the bitterness, the sour that God feels in all of this. So, it's sweet to think that Jesus is coming soon, right? Oh, that we're going to be in heaven with him. That we can, we can rid ourselves of our flesh and be, rid ourselves of this battle with sin and, and, and Satan and the demons, and we'll be, oh, in heaven with God. But the sour to the soul is that after the rapture, all these events that we've been reading about are, are going to happen to the world, to people who are left, to those loved ones or our family or, or neighbors that we know that, that if they don't receive Christ before the rapture, they're going to be left to all these events coming upon them. That's the bittersweet reality of this. Do you understand now? Do you understand what the sweet to the honey but sour to the stomach is? You know what? The gospel is bittersweet also. Think about that. The gospel is bittersweet. If you don't repent of your sins, you will die in your sin and have to face an eternity in hell. That's a judgment for sin. But if you turn from your sins, if you go to Christ and, and, and you believe in him and the God dying, coming in the flesh, dying on the cross for us and atoning for our sins, then you will be forgiven. That atonement would be upon you, upon you and cover you, cleanse you. You'll be forgiven and you will not die in your sins, but you will have eternal life in heaven with God. You see the bitter and the sweet there? The gospel truth is the same thing. So wherever you're at today, turn to Christ. <clears throat> Go after him more than ever before. Receive him if you never receive Christ. If you're connected online right now or you happen to pick this up later, Jesus loves you. He's reaching out to you right now. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Accept him in your heart. Go to the cross and be forgiven of your sins. Be freed of the bondage of sin. In Christ, he will forgive you and cleanse you, and he will give you eternal life. That's the reality here. That's the sweetness of coming to Christ, but if not, there's a bitterness, and that's the reality. All right, verse 11, our last verse here. And it says in Revelation 10, 11, And I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So with this bittersweet reality that John now experiences, that John sees, God tells John he must continue to prophesy. He must continue to write about what's coming, about this future about the judgment that will fall upon many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Notice the word many here. Sadly, many from all walks of life will reject Jesus and fall under that judgment. And in this judgment, notice there's no distinctions. Yeah? No matter what social status you are, no matter what nationality or country you're from or, or what position you hold, it doesn't save you. 
but every sinner without Jesus Christ will have judgment fall upon them. So God puts these two things together, this bittersweet reality. And John, you, you got to keep prophesying. There's more people out there. Many won't follow, but we got to still keep putting the truth out. So with eating this bittersweet scroll, the moving analogy was to motivate John to keep writing in order that some may hear and repent. That's our last point. The moving analogy, this, this bittersweet where he eats it and it's sweet and it's sour to his stomach, was to motivate John to keep writing in order that some may hear and repent. Keep going, John. There's more to write. We, 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 we have more chapters in here to go on too. But I'm glad John didn't stop here. Yeah. He kept going because there's more, more to talk about. I like what uh, Ray Stedman preached here. He said, Eating the word is a way of indicating that the truth written on the scroll becomes personal. And I love that. If you think about that, I, I love that. This became personal for John, eating the scroll. It motivated, it moved him, put him on fire to, no, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to keep recording what God wants me to record. I'm going to keep putting this on paper so that maybe more will hear, maybe another part of the prophecy, someone may come to believe and be saved in Christ Jesus. It moved him. It became personal. Tasting that sweetness, experiencing the bitterness. John knew how God felt, and he knew the urgency behind it. You know what they say? They say you are what you eat, right? <laughs> exactly, right? You are what you eat. I remember when um, Jared, my second son, when he was a baby, he, he, he uh, ate too much um, uh, carrot baby food. Yeah, the carrot baby food. And we, we fed him a lot. He loved it, and he ate so much of it. His fingers and his skin turned orange. <laughs> Basically, I mean, it was an overload of, of beta carotenes, but basically he turned into a carrot. Jared, you were a carrot for a while, you know, until his body kind of uh, uh, metabolized all that. Right? We understand that. You are what you eat. Your body metabolizes that food. And, 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 and so here's John. He ate the scroll, and he felt what God feels, the sweetness, all that. And finally of evil, Christ coming. But the bitter of all, the people were falling under the judgment. You know, just about eating, eating the scroll, isn't that what the word of God should be for you and I in our lives? I mean, when we, when we read the Bible, we want to get into it, right? We don't want to just read it like some textbook, Right? We want to study it like we are today, where it becomes a part of us, where we truly understand. It gets into our heart. It, it motivates us. It moves us. God's word is what? Food, right, for our life. Many times, Scripture tells us it's our food. Jesus said, right, man shall not live by bread alone, but the very words of God. It sustains us. It nourishes us. Jeremiah 15, 16 
He said, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He, he, it, joy came out from it. It transformed him. It, it moved him. It spoke to him. It encouraged him. It strengthened him. Just like food nourishes that soul, the word should. And you know what? So what we're reading here today. Chapter 10, in our study here, it should become a part of us. It should move us. This analogy that we're reading of John eating the sweet and then his his stomach becoming all sore, the bitterness of it, it should move us, right, to keep going and sharing the gospel and keep going and sharing. You know what? Jesus is coming soon. Share what you know about some of the prophecies that are coinciding with things that are happening in this world. Share, share a basic one. Israel being a nation is a fulfillment of prophecy. Just a, Israel being a country again. No people group has ever happened like that. Only Israel. It's been said that ev- evangelism and or missions is the sob of God's heart. That's what should be on our heart too. We should be crying for souls and people we know that they would come to know Jesus. We should not give up no matter how hard the battle is, no matter how hard the oppression is or how the enemy comes against us or no matter how many times we're rejected, we need to keep going moved by this bittersweet reality. I'll close with this today. Oops. It's still working. It keeps going, yeah? (laughs) I'll close with this. Fritz Kressler was a famous violinist in the early 1960s, and one day he came across this incredibly sounding old violin. After saving his money, he returned, only to find that it had been sold to a collector. He found the collector and offered him this money to buy it. But... The collector turned him down. Chrysler then asked if he could play the violin just once before he was going, it was to go on display. Permission was granted, and a great musician filled the room with this incredible, beautiful music. And the collector was visibly moved. The collector said this, I have no right to keep it to myself. It's yours. And he said, Take it into the world and let people hear it. That's it. That's exactly, that's what we need to do with the gospel. Let us be motivated. Let us be moved God, about God's truth in Jesus, about the truth that Jesus needs to be heard, about the, the reality of this truth and the reality of the future of those who don't have Christ. That needs to be known. And even if, There's two sides to it, even in the bittersweet reality. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we have been motivated and stirred, God. I pray that each one of us have been enlightened here by the revelation of understanding what the mystery, God, quote-unquote, is, of how you are revealed to us and reminded us of what's coming. And at this moment in Revelation 10, the angel declares 
as he stands before you that this is the truth of what is going to happen. God, we are here today reading this, and we know we need to declare the same thing, God. The truth of what's coming around the corner, I believe. That soon you will be here. That soon we will be home with you in heaven when you come for us in the rapture. That soon the last seven years of the tribulation of this world that we know it, God, will come to pass. Of the seals that will come. Of the trumpets and the bowls and the judgments that will fall upon this world. And the many people who will die without Christ, Lord. And the many who will still reject you, God. Lord, We pray right now as we think of our loved ones, our family, Lord. We pray for our friends, God, our co-worker, Lord. We pray for those around us, our neighbors, and those who do not know you. Right now as we think of them, as we, we, we see the images of their faces in our minds, God, we ask that you would save their souls, Lord. And that if it would be your will that you would use us as a light, as a voice, God as a life, God, showing what it means to be a Christian, what it means that we're forgiven, what it means that we're freed from our sin. As a a voice, God, that we would be a voice of your word to the bittersweet reality of what's coming, but the truth of your love, God, and what you've done. Oh, Lord, we are just weak, feeble, foolish people. I am, God. And I thank you that you give me mercy every day and forgive me, Lord, because I fail you and I sin. But God, I want to be your servant, and I know each one of us here want to be your servant, Lord. We want to serve you. We don't want to serve our, our, our own needs, our, our own pleasures, God. But we want to serve you and be submitted to you, Jesus. Lord, there's no one else like you. There's nothing, God, that will satisfy. There's nothing that will fulfill. Only you, Jesus. And so, God, we come to you right now. And as you fill us, Lord, may you use us, God, as tools to spread your kingdom, to further your kingdom with the light of the gospel, Lord, as time is running out. Forgive us, God, for ignoring it call, Lord. Forgive us for not being faithful to it. But Lord, stir us up to keep going and keep going and keep fighting the good fight. In Jesus' name, amen.